Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Uh, tonight's show fits in perfectly with Ken's synopsis of what we do here on Nightlight. Uh, you may have heard our guest recently on Dudes and Beer, Weird Realities, Conspiracy Unlimited. And you'll be hearing more of Wallace with Richard Sirrett. And tomorrow uh, you can hear... Um, the uh, debut of Wallace being on uh, Victor Furman's uh, Destination Unlimited at 8 p.m. Eastern on Alm Times. But all these big shows were just setting the groundwork for Nightlight Part 2. Wallace Wagner Jr. is our guest tonight. He has been a lifelong Christian but a UFO sighting in 2016 gave him a new perspective on the traditional Methodist and Baptist teachings. Wallace's book is entitled Crossing the Crevasse and should be in your library. You can learn more about Wallace by going to his website, crossingthecrevasse.com. Hey, Wallace. Thanks for being our guest tonight. Hello, Mark. How are you today? Oh, I'm I'm fine. And it kind of had like a spring-like day, so yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, uh, just putting more distance from winter is fine with me. So, so let, same here. Um, yeah, uh, the groundhogs seem to be. Uh, pretty accurate th- this year, but uh, yeah, we got through those six six weeks, and um, maybe he'll be beamed up for uh, the next uh, what forty six weeks till we need to hear from him again. But um, okay, let's find out who Wallace was 
prior to 2016. Ah, well, I was a conservative Christian, uh, brought up with Methodist background and Southern Baptist background, uh-huh. and uh, fell in along the lines of just being an evangelical, pretty much conservative Christian. And then, as you mentioned, I, I had a sighting in September of 2016 here in this county, which is Bedford County, Virginia. Uh-huh. And it really caused me to back up and remember that I had read Chariots of the God back when I was in high school, back in the early 70s. And I'd kept that in the back of my mind. But that's not what I've been taught. But here's this craft right over my head. So it really affected me, not initially, but as I started doing studies, I realized that, you know what, there's a lot of stuff in this book that just doesn't jive the way it's been brought to light. So I kind of went back and did a reevaluation of a lot of verses and uh, have come to some different conclusions. So let's just say that I fully believe now that UFOs are in the Bible and they've been with us Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. Okay. When you were growing up, you know, probably a lot of people read uh, Chariots of the Gods, and it was really um, influential book uh, um, right after its publication in uh, 68, uh, somewhere thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, that does... Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that um, you, know, you, you know you took every uh, one of Eric's you know words to heart, but um, you know were you really interested in UFOs and you know, approaching fifty years ago, or you know it's just like yeah, you know, kind of like a passing interests, you know, because you watched a few Star Trek episodes as well. Well, I I certainly love Star Trek. Uh, Mark, Mm -hmm. I was a a Trekkie since 1966, so I guess I'll (laughs) fit in that classification. But um, I was really just more interested in science fiction, per se. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom and I used to watch science fiction movies all the time, and there were a lot of good ones back in the they were made in the 50s and 60s, many of them what we call B-movies. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, The Earth Damn. Stood Steel, you know, that's one of my favorites. But uh, as far as actually believing in UFOs, I had an open mind. I, I would say that, and, and certainly Eric Von Danigan planted some seeds, but they certainly did not sprout I mean, when you're bombarded with all this information, which nothing pertains to crafts or UFOs, and even if 
UFOs are out there, uh, I belonged in, in the group that would tell you that they were all strong delusions or from the devil. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're programmed to believe all that, and then you have your own sighting, well, it it, it, it changes you. Okay. Not for the bad. Not for the bad. It just, it just changes you. Right. So, you know, we're just kind of setting the stage for what you have documented in your book about, you know, before and after. So, okay, uh, let's talk about um, your sighting. What was going sure. on 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 that day in 2016? Well, I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. At that point in time, I was a rural carrier for the post office, and I had just made a delivery to a house, and it was in the afternoon, and I was coming back from the carport where I just put a package, walking through the ladies' front yard back to my vehicle, and I just felt like I needed to stop and look up. And that's exactly what I did. Uh And in doing so, here is this gleaming white, the whitest white one could imagine, oblong-shaped, meaning that it had straight sides but curved ends, um, what appeared to be solid object over my head. It had no windows, no wings, no nacelles, no exhaust, nothing which would cause it to be up there, uh, at least based on our publicly known physics. And I, I saw it for three seconds, and then it either cloaked or disappeared took off so fast maybe that I just didn't see it. In any case, it wasn't there. Now, it was beside a little cloud, and it was one of those days that all the clouds, there were a layer of broken clouds, and they were all pretty much at the same level. I guesstimated it was about maybe 2,000 to 2,300 feet above my head. The size I'm guesstimating is 50 feet long, 30 feet wide. I guess it's what we call now a white tic-tac. That's exactly what it was. Uh-huh. And I had it had no sound, no magnetic energy, nothing like that, just completely quiet. And, of course, seeing it is one thing, and then realizing what you've seen and all the questions that come up are certainly something else. Uh, I really did not have a whole lot of time to think about it until I got home. And it's one of those things I really only mentioned to my wife and uh, a few family members and my Sunday school class. It's just not one of those things you talk about. So, But when, okay. when the Nimitz thing came out uh, a year after that, uh, I was vindicated. Yeah. Um, you have in your book 
that the UFO sightings over Washington, D.C. in the 50s were also uh, the Tic Tac um, shaped crafts. And, and you, know, you just mentioned the uh, USS uh, Nimitz. Uh, is that type of craft uh, something that's you know, just been reported over the last uh, 70 years or have they been documented you know, going way back in time? Well, that, that's a good question. Um, I saw I'm uh, really again, high, highly paid. On, yeah, go ahead. I work hard to come, come up with questions like this. <laughs> well, it, it the depends blog, yeah, on the blog. how you interpret maybe like what Zacharias saw with the flying scroll. I mean, there's things mm-hmm. back in antiquity that, that, that may not have been described as oblong or cylindrical with curved ends, but you could say, well, that might have looked like that. And actually, I believe on um, Barbara's website, she's got an excellent, excellent history of crafts going back through antiquity. And uh, some of them would qualify perhaps as that shape. Okay. In fact, here um, recently in, in Wichita, I believe that they had a sighting uh, that uh, may have entailed a white oblong object. So they're out there. Uh, uh, do you remember what shape the recent sighting over northeast New Mexico was? Was that just a, I do not. You know, the. I I I uh, don't remember either. I, I I remember the story. What from what uh, uh, what about ten ten days two weeks ago? Um, I think we just caught you know a flying sauce or whatever. I I I don't know if um, the news really went into a lot of detail. I you know, just heard about it. Yeah, I thought, oh, wow. Okay, that was a, a recent uh, a sighting that uh, sounded very uh, interesting that uh, the uh, pilots were uh, recorded uh, talking about it to the control tower. Oh, I was, um, now, you're not referring uh, to the American Airlines flight from Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Phoenix, are you? Yeah, 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 that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. fairly up to speed on that. It was an it was an oblong object, and I've oh, already used oblong. Okay. oblong. It flew over the craft, over the plane, in the opposite direction, and that that's kind of interesting in, in the fact that. Uh, American Airlines did not deny that and allowed the pilots to go public with it, and you know mm-hmm. they're still flying. That's coming a long way from 
Japanese airline flight back in 86 over Alaska when that captain ended up not being able to fly because he went public. So maybe we're making a step in the right direction. Okay. Um, I think that was a week ago Sunday for the American Airlines. Right, it was uh, fairly recent. So um, I I was pretty sure it was within two weeks. But um, in your book, you do cover um, the September 23rd, 2017 date. Uh, You you do have like a specific date in in there. Uh, It's not necessarily related to your case, but uh, but does the the date of your sighting have any kind of significance? Yeah, the time. I was just wondering: is there some connection with the timing? I do not know that. Um, I would have to ponder on that before I gave an answer. Okay. Uh, um, I just know the air was very clear that day. It was it was one of those cool September days where where, where the sky was you know really blue with the little white puffy clouds and uh, air was real clean. I mean, it was a very clear day. And uh, without a doubt, I know what I saw. Also, that's never going mm-hmm. to change. And when you first started discussing your sighting, um, you were talking about you know, there was this need to um, look up. Did you? Feel like there is some kind of communication. You felt like a present, yeah. Something yeah, like one of those kind of like paranormal type experiences going on that you just felt compelled to drop off the package and look up, and there it was. Yeah. At the time, I did not think that. Here in retrospect, I now believe the craft wanted me to see it. And when I say they in the craft, <clears throat> assuming it wasn't a drone, I don't know who they is exactly, us or them. But uh, I, I, I do feel that that it wasn't me who wanted to stop and look up. I I just felt somehow that I was connected with to stop and, hey, look up and see me. You've always wanted Mm -hmm. to see one or always questioned whether they really existed. Here I am. So I got three seconds worth. (laughs) Okay. That's enough to to leave a lasting impression, though, let me tell you. Yeah. Very important three seconds. But, yep. um, so, uh, 
was there after the three second sighting was there a gradual or uh, fairly sudden need to uh, write crossing the crevasse or did, did it take a while for the experience to sink in? It took a while to sink in. That's a good way to, to put it. And it took a while to go back through the Bible and re-examine everything that I had questions on and stuff that I was taught that was only partially true and stuff I was taught that was not true and uh, talk to some people and uh, realize that uh, maybe I needed to share this, especially since uh, the Nimitz thing came out. So, mm-hmm. of course, COVID certainly helped that as well, being cooped up inside for what seems like almost an eternity now. Uh, many, many nights we all- mornings were spent at the computer, let me tell you, some at 3.30 in the morning, so uh, mm-hmm. uh, re-examining things, reading things, getting input, reading some books that tied in with uh, uh, this, so there was quite a bit of study that was done, so I, I'm, I'm basically one of those self-taught people, not only in in, in Bible history and, and knowledge, but also in this field where we connect them with the UFOs with the Bible so Wallace you have this sighting that lasts for like a blink of an eye um How, how do you um, have you thought about like you have this sighting and you go right to it's, uh, reevaluating the Bible, you know? Why? I just looked yeah. at it through a different lens. Same book, but I just looked at it through a different lens and a different focus. Mm-hmm. With with extraterrestrial craft in mind, and it just opened up the Bible for me. Okay, yeah, you know, I just want like you know, did you have? Did it seem like you had? Um, this brief sighting became like a religious experience for you. It, it's like, you know, I just kind of want, like, you know, you make a connection between the UFO and the Bible. You know, why not uh, Charles Dickens or Time Magazine? Well, that's that's... That's interesting. I did not feel 
the presence of God or the presence of Jesus when I saw the sighting. It was indifferent. But at the time, truth for me rested in the Bible. Truth for me uh-huh. rested on on the things I believed, many of which I was taught. So truth got altered, some of it rather substantially, after after the sighting. I think that's the best way to, to put it. Okay. So, um, yeah, you gave us one sample of um, the um, papyrus uh, uh, shaped uh, craft in uh, uh, was it, is that in in Ezekiel? So, so let's look at some of the other. Uh, I mean, start with the Old Testament and, and look at some of the other examples of. Um, these uh, UFOs that were documented, what maybe like four thousand years ago? So, um, yeah, back in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, you know, you write pretty extensively about uh, the Second Kings. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, one. Uh, so, so let's kind of look at that example from the Old Testament. I make mention of Second Kings, <clears throat> chapter six, going through verses. Let's see, fifteen through eighteen. So our listeners can. Catch up at Second Kings chapter six, fifteen through eighteen, and I I, uh, I look at this because of the fact that it's cloaked craft. Now, before I start reading this, we have to keep in mind that chariots of fire are crafts or UFOs. I intermingle the term because. Um, I've been taught by a a professor here locally from Liberty University that, quote, we use the term crafts because it's less threatening. So uh, I'll just go ahead and use crafts. I will read that now. When the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, and this is Elisha, this is hopeless, my master. What are we to do? And he said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. So then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, they were up in the sky, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. And that's exactly what happened. And 
the point I'm trying to make with this, I had read it in the past and, and not made the UFO or the connection with cloaked crafts, but the servant, of course, was not a prophet of God. He was a regular human like all of us. And those crafts were there all the time, but he could not see them until hmm. Elisha prayed to God so they would appear to the servant. And I, I found that interesting. There's some other <laughs> verses that... that you know, relate to that. Um, let's say that those who respect or fear the Lord have these angels around them. So I make a connection also in my book, uh, uh, Mark, that not only does God fly in a craft, but so does Jesus and so do the angels. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to those examples here shortly. But um, okay. It, it, but this um, cloaking device seems. Like the author of the uh, Second Kings book seems to be portraying some kind, like like you know, while we're talking about the star of the show, you know, with you know Star Trek, but there's like you know, like you can make like the stealth bombers or you know these crafts that don't show up on. Today's radar, you know, the technology's there. Uh, people can see the crafts at um, different times, but you know, uh, they, they suddenly appear in the Bible uh, to a group of people, but you know, they didn't see them uh, just a second earlier. The author seems to be aware of some kind of high-tech engineering from thousands of years ago. I cannot disagree with that. Uh, That's an astute observation. uh, I think you made an interesting point about it. Look, I've when I had my Old Testament class, and um, that was oh, 15 years before Ancient Aliens even came out. So, uh, Gee, are you that really old? Wasn't... <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. There, um, you know, the Earth hadn't just cooled, and you know, the dinosaurs didn't just, uh, you know. Come on, on the land. You know, so it wasn't that long ago, but you, you know, when when I was taking you know, the Old Testament class, um, you know, that the 
that kind of technology and UFOs in the Bible. And uh, that really wasn't discussed then. No, no. But it, it was, it was uh, written uh, like it was just common knowledge for for them. I mean, Chariots of Fire is mentioned in multiple places. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, crafts are mentioned in multiple places. And, and I think it was common well, it, knowledge uh, for the Hebrews back then anyway. so Well, well yeah, they're also dis- uh, described as... Uh, these flying horses coming out of the Bronze Mountains. You're referring to Zechariah. Yeah. Uh, okay. What? Yeah. What's going on? Uh, flying horses. Yeah, that's horses don't fly. Not normal. Horses. That's yeah. That's <laughs> supernatural. Sure. You're, are you referring to Zechariah chapter six? I believe. Early on in that in that chapter, mm-hmm. yeah, verses yeah, one through five. Let me, let me read that real fast. Now I raised my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were going out from between the two mountains. And here's the kicker: the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot spotted or dappled horses. And so I responded and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out after taking their stand before the Lord of all the earth. And this this is a remarkable passage that I had read lots of times because I'm a prophecy geek, or at least a self-taught prophecy geek. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably have gotten to the point where I've forgotten more than I can remember, but prophecy is one of my strong suits. But I've read this, you know, 20, 30 times, and it never clicked until after my sighting. Zachariah mm-hmm. is calling these flying horses spirits. And the flying horses are crafts. Or maybe we could go with orbs but with, with different colors, but uh, they're spirits. And, and knowing that opened up other verses in the Bible for me. So it's like you connect the dots. Yeah. Um, now that you mentioned orbs, yeah, they're associated with the Phoenix Lights case. Yep. I think that's and and what, they're associated um, with a lot of things, Mark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just. Yeah, I think right about now, um, you know, we're pretty close to that anniversary. Yeah, I think that was like '97 or something like that. Um, It was in March. I remember that. You know, I don't remember the exact date. No, I I I don't have Lynn's book in front of me. Um, 
um, I should, should should have brought that in. Um, didn't realize we we're going to talk about that. But um, yeah, yeah the, you know your description from Zachariah whenever that was. Yeah, I'm not finding the date on when, when that was written. Okay, yeah, you know, that was probably. I, I don't. Uh, that's no, back around like, 500 BC, somewhere back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say maybe maybe a thousand, uh, but uh, that that might be you know, a little too old. But what I think the interesting thing about your book is the passages that you're looking at. Um, I, there, there does seem to be something supernatural going on. Uh, you know, the flying horses would be uh, uh, one example. But if you are look, looking at it like uh, incorporating or interpreting orbs associated with it, we would know later, uh, 2,500 years later, that that phenomenon um, it, it, it continued to happen. That is very true. The orbs have shown up with crafts. They've shown up with people who've been adopted. Uh, abducted into UFOs. They've shown up out in fields forming crop circles. Mm-hmm. And they've just shown up out of out of the sky coming out of crafts. Sometimes either merging with other orbs or separating into two separate orbs. Orbs. So there's just a lot of orbs out there, and they come in a lot of different colors uh, as well. Some are white, some are red, some are orange, some are green. Um, just, just found that rather interesting. And uh, to this day, no one's been able to come up with an explanation other than a ball of plasmic energy. So, okay. there you it, have it. it. Okay, it, and if um, you know, yeah, there you know, there's some other passages like in Proverbs eight, the earth is described as a sphere. Um, you know, by what Columbus's time, it was you know. Basically, the flat Earth um, theory was, in, you know, the uh, mainstream thought. Um, but how did, you know, whenever Proverbs was written, uh, you also have, uh, it's also in the Book of Job. Um, how how did 
people from you know ancient times know the earth was a sphere without uh, viewing it from space they didn't yeah well, you know, so, you know, kind of back <laughs> I don't mean that to be a smart answer but uh there's no way they would have unless they were up in the sky and could look back down I mean, I, 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 I look at Isaiah for 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 proof that the uh, Earth is round or or sphere. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's somewhere in, in chapter 40 of Isaiah that, that mentions something about He who sits above the circle of the mm-hmm. Earth and. I remember reading the Hebrew word for circle. You pronounce kug, and that that kug actually meant a sphere. So it's it's he who sets above the sphere of the earth. So Isaiah wrote that. So I mean, they knew. They knew the earth was round. Uh, how we got from there to the flat earth theory is somewhere beyond me. Yes. Really really not even that interested in, in in wanting to know how they got you know how that theory came about. Uh, uh for me I know for a fact that the earth is a sphere. So as well as most other uh, uh planets and uh what we call moons. So Okay. It, You know, we've looked at the um, flying chariots, flying horses. <clears throat> you also uh, draw our attention in, in, in your book to judges about um, fought the stars. That's a good one. So, yeah, I, 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 you know, when I was reading your book, I was like, "Ooh, wow, okay." That, that's uh, uh, pretty interesting, and it, it, can, can you tell us a little bit about that one? Because it, it, sure. so it sounds like we could go into uh, Vimanas. <laughs> um, Judges five is also known as the song of Deborah and Barak. Some Bibles have that listed there as a subtitle. It goes something like this, and I'm just going to paraphrase from 20 and 23. The stars fought from heaven. From their paths, they fought against Sisera. Curse Morose, said the angel of the Lord, utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of the Lord. This this creates for me more questions than any of the passages we've talked about so far. Um, first of all, stars fighting from heaven. Well, stars don't fight. You have to realize, and I've come to realize uh, from my self studies that. 
any light in the sky at night that moved uh, was called a star. So these lights fought from heaven against Sisera. They left their courses to fight. That's the key. That, that's interesting. In other words, they knew certain stars went across the heaven at night along with the constellations and whatnot. But these stars left their courses to come and fight against Sisera. And then we read Curse Meroz. Well, you go to your commentary, as all of us good Methodists and Baptists have done, and um, all, all these pundits seem to think that Moreau's referred to a geographical place on this planet, perhaps a town or a location. But no one knows where that town or location is, so there's immense disagreement. Now, you go to the Jewish Talmud, and guess what you find out? That's that. Moreau's is a celestial object. It's not a town or a city or a location on this planet. It's another world. And it, with that in mind, now it makes sense. Curse the inhabitants of that world, said the angel of the Lord, because they did not come to help the Lord. And then, and then you question yourself, well, if the Lord's fighting, that's up in heaven anyway. So this battle... Cicero might have been down here, but for them to help, that would have come from the sky. So, of course, Meroz is a celestial object or another planet. And uh, that, uh, I found that interesting. Uh, the Jewish uh, faith has an open mind on a lot of the, what we call, crafts in the Old Testament, and uh, this is one case where where I believe they have it right. Okay. So for um, talking about some of these stars battling, uh, you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you know, there's some supernatural stuff going on in uh, that scene. Um, Somewhat uh, related to the um, this battle scene uh, is how Moses looked like he he was changed after Mm. Uh, coming down from uh, uh, was it, uh, Mount Sinai, and yep. he, he had the face to face meeting with uh, God, and he's changed. Uh, you know, Michael Carter's talked about. Uh, yeah, it kind of sounds like he, he was radiated. Uh, you, you know. Obviously, radiation does fit in with um, 
you know, battle you know, Hiroshima. You know, we've uh, covered that on uh, a show with uh, Charles Pellegrino. Um, but that uh, interpretation of uh, uh, radiation poisoning um, does sound like it could be uh, very plausible. I totally agree. The commandment thing is an encounter. I used to read it as as an experience with God. I, I, I kind of look at it as he had an encounter with God, and those were some of the effects of the encounter. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that he was changed, sure. physically changed. He radiated. He, he 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 glistened, and, and some of the text, not in the Bible, actually said he had to wear a cloth over his head. He was physically changed. I, I, I that fits in with, yeah. You know, well, and you know we could apply that to. Um, uh, is Mahenjo Daro the, the the right the right place that had the uh, like glass the sand was turned to glass and and the vimanas were seen seen you know the battling over that area is, is that the same. Is that the right place I'm thinking of? Because it's if it's not, correct me. But um, I know that there's been sand turned into glass in in the sands in Egypt. Okay. Well, yeah. There, there. I think there was like one in. Uh, it takes a minute Turkey to or, do that. Yeah. There's. Um, Uh, uh, text, you know, a uh, little uh, from one of the countries further to the east, where um, there was some of these similar types of uh, like high tech weapons seem to have been used, and it, it was all documented. What really seemed to be going on uh, thousands of years ago? It, it it's not just the Old Testament that has these uh, few examples of you know some pretty weird stuff going on. Uh, it, it's kind of throughout the old world. That is correct. It's in a lot of cultures. Specifically, if you look at Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, uh, it's full of that. Um, wars in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, as such. Yeah, um, 
it, it, it's real. It's just a, a really fascinating subject, and yeah, you know, I think we make uh, probably you know once we get into the uh, next hour, you know, I think we make some other connections where um, we're seeing similar. Stories documented in uh, the New World as well. But um, you know, um, are there any other uh, Old Testament examples you want to give us? I'll throw one or two out. Um, okay. Again, from Isaiah uh, chapter. 60, verse 8. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their windows? And in Psalms 22, David speaking, chapter 11. He, meaning God, rode on a cherub and flew think about that God flies Uh if he flies that means he's in a specific location at a specific time he's not omni everything all the time and he flies on a cherub or what he calls a cherub which could also be a craft, a spirit a chariot of fire whatever you want to call it but he flies. And you mentioned the, uh, the, the sand turning into glass with heat in Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 18 and 19. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the entire mountain quaked violently when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder so that brings up I guess a a good question is is where is Mount Sinai? A lot of people would have you believe it's on the Sinai Peninsula. Uh-huh. But in doing that, uh, there's no need to cross the Red Sea to get there. But uh, for me, my studies uh, uh, have taught me that uh, Mount Sinai is really in Saudi Arabia. And there is a mountain over there now, and I believe Saudi Arabia knows what they have. They fenced it off. There's a a rock that is split, and the top of the mountain is still black to this day. And it's interesting that they have that all fenced off with nobody able to go see it without special permission. I really believe that that is the Saudi Arabia that 
um, has the Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So I just thought I would throw that out. Well, in the God writing on the cherub, um, and you know, just talking about Saudi Arabia, you know, not all that much of a leap to you know introduce um, the flying carpet. What's all about? You know. All about the same thing. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you there. You can look at Vishnu. You can look at Krishna. You can look at a, a lot of the, the gods from the Eastern religions, and, and you see all kinds of flying things, including carpets. Yeah. Oh, oh it's... no, it's, I, it, I, it's not a. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Let's put it that way. I think the points you have lots of examples in in, in your book, and just the few that we you know we've covered, um, you know, just from the New Te- or Old, Old Testament, um, do sound like just different terms for the same thing. But, sure. It, it really is. Uh, in the past, certainly, it never clicked. But but now that you've, or now that I have had the sighting, it, it uh, opens up my eyes. And that's kind of why I, you know, one of the main reasons I wrote my book, I, I came from the uh, realm of, of people I'm trying to connect to. Uh, in the book to get them to open their eyes, like uh, like what happened with me. Okay. Okay. And there's it, one one more talk- place in the Old Testament, Mark, that, that kind of dictates or kind of indicates that uh, God flies, and it's in First Kings chapter 19, and uh, it refers to Elijah, and I'll I'll just. Read starting in chapter 11 real fast, and then we'll go on. So he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains. In other words, the mountains were breaking apart and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. I just found that interesting. Because any time the Lord shows up, he's either descending, he's in clouds, or there's this after effect. And the after effect could be fire or glory, so bright that you can't even look at it. It's not like he's an invisible spirit that's everywhere all the time. He's, he's in a craft which moves. So okay. I was and, wanted to throw that out. Yeah, but it, it is reminiscent of what you were talking about with the uh, cracked rock in Saudi Arabia. 
mm-hmm. that has the fence around it, and it's kind of like the same, same I think there idea. Was a picture of that online, so may, uh, maybe the listeners could could uh, look that up. Um, I had saved it, but I've lost it somewhere in between switching computers. But uh, it's it's, it's out like there, happens. and uh, I think Ron Wyatt had a lot to do with bringing that to our attention. So, okay, let's look at um, some of the New Testament examples. Um, oh, where do you do? <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, yeah you do. Uh, make us aware that when we get into the New Testament that uh, Jesus's life is uh, has all these supernatural events at major stages of of his life. uh, Since he's the focus of the New Testament, uh, uh, let's Take a look at um, you know, the evidence that uh, people, uh, you know, were writing down about two thousand years ago. Sure. You mentioned major life events. That's when he was born, when he was baptized, when he was transfigured. Uh, there were crafts involved. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, all through the start of the chapter, basically we read about the Magi. It's the only book that really talks about the Magi. And they followed this star from the east to Bethlehem. And then they meet with Herod, and they follow the star from there to directly over where Jesus was born. So they had two encounters with this so-called star. And it really was not a star. Stars don't act in that fashion. and uh, Nor do they start and stop. And it was a craft, and it stopped right over the birthplace of Jesus with the Magi. And at that point... You know, they bestowed their gifts. So that that's where we'd start, and, and then then you got to consider when Jesus was baptized. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a baptism. pretty interesting. You know, at the river at the River Jordan, yep. interesting scene. Jesus so came I, up I, immediately I, from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. Well, what does that mean? Heavens were opened. I mean, they're always means they could see something they didn't see before. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. This is a case where Spirit is a craft with God in it, descending down from heaven right over top of Jesus. And then we get the proverbial voice from the heavens that says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. How many times I just thought that spirit was just 
oh, that's just the Holy Spirit. You can't see it. You can't touch it. It moves like the wind. That's what that is. But no, that's not what that is. That is a craft containing God and God speaking from the craft as he does so many times. Same thing with the transfiguration uh, in the next book in Mark chapter 9. Verses 2 through 8, if our listeners want to catch up and uh, open to that. I use the New American Standard Version. It goes like this, And six days later Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no wanderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter responded and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good we are here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. I'll just stop right there for the sake of time. It's a case where the cloud is hiding the craft. It's not a case where the cloud is poisonous or dangerous for the three disciples. The cloud is hiding the craft, and God is in the craft, and God speaks from the craft. Same thing, very similar, scooting on over to Acts, Paul on the Damascus Road. This time it's Jesus and the craft. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. Now as he was walking, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now we'll come back to that word around in just a minute. And Paul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And this light from heaven came from a craft, and Jesus was in the craft. Now, why is that you know, interesting is the same night that Jesus was born, we we read about, you know, the shepherds out in the field guarding their flock. Behold, angels appear all of a sudden and talk to them, and this light comes down from heaven, just like a spotlight on a stage, same thing that happened to Paul there, in a circle around the shepherds, and they were terrified, as you can imagine. I mean, for them, light only came from fire or lightning. Uh, Light from the sky 
it would be terrifying. And, of course, there were voices uh, as well. So it's the same type thing, same craft or same type of craft with the same glory type of light coming down from the craft. And uh, let's dip on over to Revelation uh, to save some time. This is this is a really good one. Did you want to ask a question? Yeah, I, I was just going to um, with with the sample that you you just gave about the uh, cloud hiding the craft. Uh, that kind of seems like we're back to that cloaking technology. That and if that's the case, I, you know, maybe there's you know the craft is you know kind of making like a some type of chemtrail, but you know without the nefarious uh, application. But it, you know, it seems like there's something, a, 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 some kind of technology there that is cloaking. The, the craft, but we have it in both books of the uh, Bible. Oh yeah, it's in it's in Exodus again. A lot of this stuff. Uh, I was just picking out a few verses that that were maybe not quite as familiar as you know Ezekiel and the pillars of fire and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's scattered throughout. Mm-hmm. No, I just. Uh, it, 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 I just kind of uh, enjoy looking at patterns, but uh, I, I go ahead with the uh, uh, one from Revelation. Uh, uh, that one's just bizarre. And again, this is one of those instances where I had read this maybe forty times since Revelation's my favorite book, and never made the connection. Revelation four. One, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet, all these voices are always like trumpets, speaking with me said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So, I am now a firm believer, and this is just, you know, what resonates with me is that this door that opened was in a craft, in a spirit. In fact, later on it says John was in the spirit, and the spirit is a craft, and he was flown around the heavens to see uh, the future. And when... I guess what I want to say is he had to go up there in order to see what would take place later, which which in itself is interesting. I mean, if God wanted John to know the future, he would give him dreams or visions. But instead, he was called up into a craft and flown around the heavens. And that craft was called, you know, the spirit and uh, that's exactly uh, what happened so I'm fully fully convinced of that now 
in, in walls. What? And you just said you, know, you read, you know, this passage you know, from, from Revelation with the door you know, a bunch of times. It's, it never really made the connection. Made. Yeah, made the connect UFO connection. Uh, There were back to you have a life changing event that uh, alters your perception. But if you have like this door, open door, just showing up in heaven, it's almost like. Yeah, if that's like a, uh, uh, what do you call it? the uh, like cargo uh, door of you know, you know, just say an airplane. Um, yep, it's almost like the same thing as you know what's Jacob's ladder going up to? You know, is that going into a door? You know, Noah's Ark. That, that, that's is, a good one, too. Um, you yeah, know, you have God crack. up on top, and you have the angels going up and down the ladder doing his work. You know, you know, we're, we're, it's, you know are, are they going up into something like a, a cargo? Uh, you know, there, there's just a, a lot of the. You know, if you. Um, Read some of these uh, you know, passages. You know, it, there, there really is some bizarre stuff presented in the Bible. There's just no no other way to uh, describe it. Sure. Um, sure. What? Yeah. You know, what? But, but are, are were the authors? Yeah, just accurately depicting what they saw. Well, I tell you what. Coming from a conservative background, most people would take their Bible literally. But when they would read something like this, they would think the door standing open in heaven would just be something like a scroll and it just created a, 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 an opening in space-time or something like that. This would be a case where they would not take it literally. The same thing with Jacob's ladder. But it's the case for me now that I do take it literally because it's exactly what he saw and exactly what was written down. So... For the evangelicals out there, how, how do you take your Bible so literally, believing every word is from God, and you're told this door standing open in heaven with a voice in it says, come up here into that door, and you're flowing around the heavens. I mean, I don't know how you can get around that. The same thing with the ladder like you mentioned uh, with God up on top and the angels doing his bidding, going to and from the earth, up and down the ladder. Um, the the angels are in crafts too, in my humble opinion, because 
if Jesus is in a craft and he's coming back a second time whenever and he's going to bring all these thousands and thousands of angels with him and they're all going to be lights just just like stars lights in the sky coming from the east they're all going to be crafts so the whole sky is going to be full of crafts when Jesus makes his return which makes me also wonder Mark and I'm I'm really going out on a limb with this but with, with the rapture uh, uh, you know, basically you're taught that people are just going to disappear and the people that are left behind initially aren't even going to know what happened. But what if it's crafts taking people up off the earth and moving them to another planet? Then we would see what was happening. It's just something to think uh-huh. about. Especially since this 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 so-called rapture is kind of in chapter 14, in the middle of Revelation, and there's still people, you know, uh, uh, on the earth after that. So that's just something to think about. I've, I, I'm now wondering about that where I hadn't before. Yeah, um, just getting beamed up into different crafts for, uh, could could be an explanation for the rapture. And, and, and you know, if you just look at... Uh, well, Matthew you know, says I'll, in his book, In the Mouth, All of the Discourse, uh, what is that, chapter 24, that angels do the reaping. And we've already mentioned several times tonight, these angels are in crafts. So it's these crafts that's going to be doing the reaping with the angels in control. Just like when Gabriel flew in swiftly uh, to Daniel. For the young- I mean, he flew in in a craft, uh, plain and simple. It's just these, these angels are in crafts too. All these heavenly beings and heavenly hosts are in crafts. That's uh, And that's you know, our destination is in heaven, too, according to Paul. So I can easily see us in a craft, whether it's just to be moved or maybe that's, you know, something for us in the, in our future. It's just things that I think about now that I did not think about before my sighting. Well, the crafts hovering over a certain area and like sucking people up uh into the bottom of the craft um that uh, could be pretty scary uh you know the bible also has it, uh, it, like zombie apocalypse type scenes and it, it, then you get all the bizarre animals in uh the opening of um, the book of Revelation and it's no wonder that Stephen King calls you know like the Bible the scariest book because you know, there is a, just a, a, a lot of uh, strange images 
the uh, you know passages that are by rational explanation. Well, that's a good way to put it, and and I would wholeheartedly agree with you. And you get so and so, so some of the uh, you know milder passages are you know like Jesus walking on water, but yeah, you know, it, it, it just gets more bizarre. Well, you're you're right about that. Um, you know, Jesus did all these what we call miracles, and uh, starting with the water into wine at Canaan. Mm-hmm. But later on, he says, "Not only will you do these, but you'll do greater than these." Still waiting for that to happen. So, yeah. you know, aside from okay. aside from Peter and Paul, they they did a few a few things like bring somebody back from the dead and whatnot. But uh, after that, it's just pretty much. I don't know. I don't know anybody that has any special powers uh, like Jesus did. So. Um. You know, you know, when your friends um, read your book, or you get uh, you know get feedback after a show, uh, um, I'm sure there are, you know a few people pro- probably didn't really care for my. Uh, Um, com- comment about you know, incorporating Stephen King's views of the the Bible, but you know, you know it does it does fit. But it, 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 you know, I think you, you, what you do in uh, crossing the crevasse does give us a new view on. Some of these scenes that are very uh, captivating, you know, a lot of people already uh, spoke about Ezekiel's wheel. You know, we don't need to get into that or the multiple faces. You know, that almost seems like it's out of the Exorcist. But (laughs) everybody about Ezekiel anyway. Yeah, but you know when. You know, people you know, at at your church um, you know, realize that you know what you've written. Um, you know, hopefully it's not from any of our listeners. But you know, do, do do people think that you're being sacrilegious or? Yes, a, a show like Ancient Aliens or Star Trek um, made them more open to these kinds of I- interpretations. I've had, I've had one comment, Mark. That one comment that that they thought maybe I was a little too blunt and and, and limited God and whatnot. 
but in actuality, most of the comments I've gotten, none from my former church, by the way, uh, these are just from readers of the book, seem to, you know, tell me that I did a pretty good job, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but keeping the deity of God intact while bringing out these um, inconsistencies, for lack of a better word, throughout the Bible, trying to get, you know, the blinders to come off. Uh, God is still God. Jesus is still Jesus. And, and Jesus certainly taught honesty, and that's all I am really presenting. Uh uh-huh. The book's got a lot of chapters in it and a lot of different topics without, you know, I certainly couldn't expound, you know, in depth on any of them. But, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned some inconsistencies in the Bible, and uh, there's a couple flat out errors that are often overlooked. And some of that's due to, you know, a bad transmission of the text. Some's due to a bad translation. Some's due to a recent interpretation, like a certain passage in Mark. You know, the the NIV people, you know, decided that wasn't there in the beginning, so they're not putting it there now. If it wasn't there in the beginning, then how did it get in there? That's an issue in itself. Regardless of of you know, the reason, it's still wrong. So there's many. Uh, and I say many, I can't quantify that, uh, uh, but I put several uh, um, passages in the book that, uh, you know, aren't aren't jiving, such as two by two onto the ark they went. Uh, yeah. Uh, where did they get Billy that seven? Goliath? So, I mean, there's another phrase in there that doesn't that does not support that. But things like that are often overlooked. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you get your narrative, and that's what you go with, and that's what pretty much the the uh, Christian religion goes with is this certain narrative. And for, you know, a lot we really bring a lot of this. On ourselves, and again, I even put a chapter in the book on this. Don't, don't be a Sunday Christian. If, if you know, if you, if you're letting what you hear from behind the pulpit become your truth, and the only time the book's open is when you're in church or Sunday school, when it's closed the rest of the week. Well, what you hear from behind the pulpit's going to become, you know, your truth and your reality, and, and you really need to start checking things out for yourself and doing reading and studying for yourself and in doing so you will find that there's a lot of other uh, explanations for a lot of things you've been taught and you know that long straight line is no longer straight and the area between you know not right and right is expanded to where you know, this could mean this, and it could mean that, and these people say this means that, and this other group of people over here totally disagree. You've got to do your own study uh, to realize that uh, uh, 
what we're being taught a lot is is just a narrative that has been you know pre-planned and has, has been taught all through the divinity schools and whatnot and really hasn't changed since about 1600 since the reformation mm-hmm. okay right. and, and... i went on a little tangent there sorry about that <laughs> it's okay <laughs> but, um yeah you know, we we sort of uh about 30 minutes left uh you know, we fit some more uh fascinating information in uh but it, you know, it, it when I was reading your book, uh, you know, there was the contradiction about there were like supposed you know, like the original idea was to have seven animals on the ark, and then all of a sudden it like kind of becomes uh, you know just down to two. Uh, not sure what happened, and it's, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Well, it, in, in, scro- Gen- in Genesis, there seems to be that's that's why. I mean, even even the Jewish people uh, would tell you now Moses really did not write Genesis. Let me repeat that: Moses did not write Genesis. Genesis is written by several people, and uh, even one of the Jewish newspapers recently said Moses did not write it. There seems to be two sets of facts, and they're both put in Genesis. I mean, we're talking lineage, going down from Adam to Noah. We're talking several things, even even the giants, let alone what went on, you know, with what, what you know, the children are taught today. Two by two, they went on the, on the ark and if you'll just move your finger over just a little bit further, you'll see that it's two for for most animals, but for clean animals and whatnot, it becomes seven. So it's it's you know it can't be both. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if one's wrong, I mean, now I question. Well, then if one's wrong, you know, there's a chance maybe they're both wrong really don't know now. And this happens this happens throughout, not only in Genesis but, but other books, you know, as well. And, yep. and I make mention of, of David and Goliath. Uh, same thing there. Um <clears throat> everybody's taught that David killed Goliath, but nobody studies uh, the other passages that relate to that and uh, seem to contradict it completely. So Okay. You realize this from doing, I guess, your own study. You're not gonna going to hear it necessarily from behind the pulpit. Right. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, pastor doesn't want to uh, contradict himself, but you know, you, know, oh, you, you do everybody together and on the same page. I mean, you realize yeah. the church is technically a business with. Without money, they can't pay bills or salaries or, or power for that matter. So you have to keep those tithes coming in, and to do that, you have to keep everybody on the same level playing field and and pretty much try to have them all be of the like mind. Unfortunately for me, they left the gate open, and I have wandered outside. So 
I uh, I'm an individual thinker now. Okay. Well, you know, kind of familiar with that, uh, you know, being put out to pasture too, but we'll save that for another show. But well, they left the gate yeah, open. Yeah. <laughs> with with um, yeah, yeah, you do make us aware of some of these contradictions, but. You know, if we do put some of this biblical science uh, to the test, um, you know, like the flood story, um, you know, since, since you're from, uh, you know, just down 77 uh, from, from the... Um, you know, you're familiar with all, you know, all the coal seams. Okay, so we can look at the the flood story. Um, you know, the coal, the high sulfur coal, and salt mixed in with it. So, what can we learn about the accuracy of some of the biblical science that is uh, portrayed, you know, probably more in uh, the Old Testament. Well, the the young Earth people would have you believe the flood was about forty five hundred years ago. That that fits into their model fairly well. And so, all the races we have on Earth now, and all the cultures we have on Earth now have all been, you know, derived since the flood, which was 4,500 years ago. So I have a big problem with that. Since I spent 11 and a half years in the coal business, um, some of it in sales, some of it in a laboratory, um, I guess I'll start off by saying, and this may surprise some of the listeners, there are no mountains in West Virginia. Everything's a valley. And by that I mean that's how it's explained that coal is on the mountaintops. Most everyone agrees that coal was formed by decayed flora, old trees, whatnot, it becomes peat, it becomes lignite, subbituminous, bituminous, and then anthracite. And um, it fits right in with mainline science. It does not fit in with the 6,000-year-old Earth theory at all, let alone the flood being recent. I mean, these young Earth proponents harp on that everything was mixed up in the flood and I don't see that to be the case at all from my personal standpoint and I use coal and salt as examples Uh, starting with coal 
taking taking a, a typical southern West Virginia mountain, you have all these seams and layers that go from the top to the bottom, and sometimes it's uh, even under drainage, meaning down under the ground. But um, the coals, typically on top of the mountains, have more volatiles, more gas, than the coals that are deeper. And regardless of whether you're on one mountain in one county or another mountain next to it or even another mountain in another county, the seams are relatively the same quality. And there's no rocks necessarily mixed up with the coal. The coal is coal segregated by shell or sandstone, and then you have another layer of coal and whatnot. So you have all these layers going top to bottom. Uh-huh. And as you would think, as you get deeper with the more pressure, the carbon in the coal increases. Very simple. And and scattered throughout, you have some high sulfur on top, some high sulfur in the middle, some high sulfur in the bottom, on the bottom horizon. And what causes the or what caused the sulfur in the coal was actually brackish or salt water with the hydrogen sulfide. And we already agreed that it's the decayed plant material that caused it. So you have high sulfur coal, and that that, that high sulfur seam, whether you're in Mountain A, Mountain B, or Mountain C, whether you're in uh, one county or the county next to it or the county next to it, guess what? It's still high sulfur. Same thing with the upper or middle seam. And, and to have low sulfur in seams, um, it was formed in a freshwater environment. And lower cedar grove, I used as an example, regardless of whether you're in Kentucky or West Virginia or Virginia, it's low sulfur. It's not mixed up. Nothing is mixed up. You have Kendrick shale over the Williamson seam, and it's not mixed in with the coal, and it's not over top of any other seam going from top to bottom. It's just over, you know, the Williamson seam. So, so I don't get this this so-called theory of mixing up uh, at all. It certainly doesn't apply to the seams in in you know, West Virginia. And the same thing with salt. I mean, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, the salt, where, where's the salt coming from in West Virginia? We're uh, still several hundred uh, miles from uh, the Atlantic Ocean, so are we back to the the flood story well possibly but it could be more than one flood but you have salt on top of the ground in the andes at elevations of 11 and 12,000 feet and you have salt under the great lakes now that really interferes if salt is is evaporated seawater under the Great Lakes 
and the Great Lakes were carved out, you know, within this 6,000-year time frame, and the flood was at 4,500 years ago, how do you explain the salt being under the Great Lakes? I mean, there's places it's very thick, especially around, even in the Detroit area, in the Erie area. And there's active mines that that have gone under the uh, Great Lakes. And then you, but 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 you go out to the west, and and right there is the Great Salt Lake, still evaporating to this day, and it's salt. So salt is everywhere. Uh, um, it's just not from one flood and it's not necessarily mixed up with anything. You have salt in layers, some of it's very thick and it's not mixed up with dirt or earth or rocks or or coal for that matter. It may have a few streaks of impurities in it as everything does, but it's basically salt. And it's at every elevation under drainage and way above drainage. So from that standpoint, you know, you could certainly theorize that there's been more than one flood. Oh, and you get these flood stories happening or, or you know, being uh, appearing in uh documentation or folklore all all around the world you you mentioned the andes under the great lakes it, it's just you know we're kind of back to uh noah's flood seemed to document at least one of these um uh, Extinction events, global extinction events, mm-hmm. but and you know we you know we we have like sixteen minutes left. And, you know, still have you know, a few other things that I want to touch on. Uh, you know, I think we can kind of uh, tie in some of these uh, global events and show that. What the uh, Bible was uh, documenting is just one sample of what so many other uh, Hindu cultures and Central American cultures uh, were uh, documenting, you know, maybe around the same time. But um, you, you did make a trip to the Holy Land in Egypt. Excuse me. uh, Toward the pyramids, and uh, you you have a a lot of photos, and and you write about it in in your book. Um, And Eric von Daniken writes in his Chariots of the Gods that. the inhabitants have learned a lot by watching the gods surreptitiously. The place on which the spaceship stood will be declared holy ground, a place of pilgrimage where the heroic deeds of the gods will be praised in songs. Pyramids and temples will be built on it in accordance with astronomic laws, of course. Um, you know, since 
um, shows like Ancient Aliens uh, place so much em- emphasis on the pyramids as a place where all, you know, all of a sudden there's just this renaissance just kind of emerges. Uh, you know, did, did you get uh, uh, you know, the sense that uh, where all you know the pyramids of Giza were built, uh, you know the spacecrafts could have landed there. Possibly, and let me qualify that. There, there is a text uh, in one, another one of the books that did not make it in the Bible, but actually says that. When Christ returns, he will bring the Ben-Ben stone back with him for the Great Pyramid. You know, the Great Pyramid has a flat top. It's debatable whether the Ben-Ben stone was there, and if it was there, it's certainly debatable on where it went to. Um, so, you know, that, that's possible. Did I, did I get that feeling? Uh, what The feeling I got was the pyramids were older than what we're led to believe. And, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people over there, uh, had guides, and you go on mm-hmm. little mini tours and whatnot, but you're kind of taught the pharaohs wanted to outdo each other, and it was a learning process. You started out with basically rocks, and then you learned to stack them, and then you went to a, step pyramid and then you went to a a bent pyramid trying to get the angles right so they experimented some where the angles were too steep and of course the foundation caved in others whatnot but we ended up with the great pyramid based upon trial and error and based upon pharaohs wanted to outdo you know the one before them so it's been classified. The Great Pyramid, of course, was built for Khufu. And I have a hard time with that because all pyramids that are built for pharaohs have in them a lot of hieroglyphics, a lot of statuettes, statues, golden items, stuff, stuff you know, mm-hmm. to, to support the pharaoh. And none of that's been found in the Great Pyramid. I mean, there might have been a little bit of writing, but that's been called into question by most scholars now. There's really nothing. In fact, the only statuette of Khufu was found hundreds of miles away, and you can hold that in your hand. It's something like six or seven inches tall. That's it for Khufu. And, and, so you have this great pyramid with all this knowledge taken to build it, and uh, we don't have enough time to get into it, but the knowledge to build that is, is immense. It, it, it's beyond what we could do today, <clears throat> and that's hard to believe. I mean, you're looking at 30 Empire State buildings, and some of the stones are 50 tons, and uh, just on and on, but all this technology, and then you had all these people, according to Egyptian history, that built this. 
that were familiar with this technology that had an active hand in it. But here's the kicker. Some 70 or 80 years later with the next Pharaoh, we're back to a pile of rocks. Now that latter part that I just said is not mentioned unless you you know, really read and study for yourself Egyptian history because it doesn't fit in with with the uh, agenda. That tells me that the Great Pyramid is far, far older, just like the Sphinx, than, than what we are taught. And, uh, you know, I think it was the American prophet, Edgar Casey who said that the Sphinx really contained the records of Atlantis under one of its paws, and we have discovered a chamber underneath the Sphinx. I'm still waiting to read that, you know, permission's been granted to, you know, explore it. It takes a long time to get permission to do anything in Egypt with any of the antiquities, as you probably know. There's also mm-hmm. been you know, a chamber found in the Great Pyramid recently. So I guess my point is I felt that it was made far back and and these gods from heaven were possibly involved to to build it. Okay, and and some of the um, Egyptian arts. Uh, I, I'm not sure which museum it's in, and you know what uh, on temple, but you, know, you do get. Um, those depictions of Osiris as being green, you know, we know and further to the east, uh, Krishna's blue. Uh, you have that. Um, uh, is that that Mayan uh, sarcophagus lid at Copan? With the god that looks like he's flying, uh, yeah, uh, driving some kind of craft. Yeah, isn't, so, isn't that wild? Yeah, and it, it, it just seems like like you know all these different examples that we've spoken about, like the like the tic tac patterns that uh, you know the. the Saucer crafts. You know, if we have uh, you know, a, a remaining minute, we can look at some of the paintings you include in your book. But you know, it's also have the different species or races of uh, aliens or angels, and it just seems like this is a pattern found throughout the world. Yeah, you try to work that in with with the flood being 4,500 years ago and everything, including these colored beings, uh, would fit in from, you know, Shem, Ham, or, or Japheth. So just think about that. In 4,500 years, I, I don't see it. I mean, Egyptian history goes back close to 30,000 years. So, uh-huh. I mean... 
I, I, I don't I don't get this this recent stuff. And and you're right, Osiris, Osiris is often depicted as being green, uh, especially on a lot of the you know the paintings and whatnot. And uh, Christian is often blue or black. And uh, you would have a lot of people say today that's because he had a blood disorder where the hemoglobin couldn't release enough oxygen, you know, to the cells, so you turn blue when that happens. But you have others that would would say that he was really gleaming white, that only his neck was blue. So you have a little bit of conflicting you know, information on that, but I find it very interesting nonetheless. Yeah, and, you know, we're kind of getting a little short on time, but, uh, you know, you do have uh, depictions of uh, crafts from various other time periods, uh, you know, uh, from, from paintings, uh, like the uh, there, there are also some. Uh, trying to find um, the uh, cloths uh, where you know, there's like a a driver of a comet. You can't make this it, stuff up, Mark. I tell you, right. these, these pictures. And depictions and paintings that go back. I mean, it's the same kind of craft we're seeing today. So, so why would they paint or put a craft, for example, in the magnificent tapestry the, back in around 1330? Uh, there's a picture of a typical flying saucer in the background. I mean, you wouldn't do that unless you had seen that and it was something important to you. I mean, it just goes on and on through the ages. And and you're left to wonder, why isn't this brought out to the open? You know, more often it's the same kind of crafts in many cases that we're seeing today, that your typical flying saucer. There, there's... Um, a pretty good one in here from 1710, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, very much to what we had talked about, a craft in the sky. And here are beams of light or beams of glory shooting down on Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can't make this up. Is this a nightmare somebody had? Is it a vision somebody had? Or is this verbal information that's been handed down? Did somebody really see this? So it's it's amazing. It's the same type craft so often depicted today. Yeah. And uh, the the Serbian... uh, Triptych looks like the uh, guy driving the comet. Almost looks like you know, the uh, Copen uh, sarcophagus lid. The 
uh, miracle of the thirteenth century painting, the miracle of the snow. Uh, that looks like a fleet of UFOs coming over the horizon and hovering over you know, like uh, the Vatican or something like that. Sure does. It sure does. Yeah, and, you and, often and, see that that other one from from Serbia a, a, a lot, even even on ancient aliens mm-hmm. uh, uh, lately. Uh, uh, the, some people would say they're angels. Well, okay, I can buy that too. They're still in crafts, and they're piloting the crafts. And the crafts yeah. are going through the air, and if you look look at it closely, behind the craft are these tails, or this maybe exhaust, if you want to call it that, or or glory behind the craft. Uh, uh, there's always something behind the craft which shows you which way the craft is going. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, um, it, it just seems like uh, the X Files was invented. Uh, uh, hundreds of years ago, it's not uh, uh, really a recent TV show. Hey, uh, you know, Walsh, you, you know, we're down to the last uh, couple minutes. Uh, uh, do you want to give everyone your website and uh, sure. you know, I just want to remind everyone, yeah, go over to uh, v- Victor's uh, Destination Un- Unknown tomorrow. You can hear uh, Wallace on there at eight o'clock Eastern time. So. Uh, uh, give everyone your website, then we'll have to wrap it up for the night. It's just like the name of the book. It's uh, www.crossingthecrevasse.com. And from there, you can see some of the shows I've been on and some of the shows that are upcoming. And you can get a pretty good synopsis of what's in the book. And there's also a link to go to Amazon. Uh, it's available on Kindle. Grayscale, and also have a full color book out there, which is slightly larger, like eight and a half by eleven. So that, that's okay. available on Amazon as well. Okay. Well, uh, whilst we need to wrap it up there, I just want to th- thank you for being a guest. Thanks, Barbara, for producing the show. And uh, you know, we'll see er- everyone next week. Ha- have a great week, everyone. <laughs>